2: friends, you beautiful people of the internet, and welcome back to another episode of the Road to Road Football Podcast. As you know, and say it with me, it's the most important podcast in the universe. Ray Summerlin, eat that because this is the most important episode each week. Not the one I do on Tuesday with you, not your Thursday episode, even though that's great and you should subscribe to listen to it. It's this Friday episode because I do it with Evan Silva and do it with Rotopat. Rotopat is a bit later on. I get to pick on his rankings and Evan Silva is in just a moment. But first, I need to remind you that one, the DFS Toolkit is half price for the rest of the season. Go and check that out. Rotoworld has a YouTube page. That is where we stream Rotoworld live each and every Sunday, noon Eastern. You are the backbone of the show. We answer your questions, the entire Rotoworld football crew for 45 minutes leading up to a kickoff. It's a pregame show you actually enjoy. So come and check it out. I'll be tweeting the link throughout the weekend. And again, if you enjoy this podcast at any moment, uh, I'm talking to you, Samuel and Sullivan, and Smithy, Smitty, and Steve, just plain old Steve, who was a Steven in his real name, but he's still stuck in fourth grade and is called Steve. Time now for Evan Silva. Evan writes the matchups column up on RotoWorld, Mr. Matchups himself. Um, Evan, before we get into anything else, I want to get your quick take because I thought it was great on Twitter this week of what you believe or what you would project. Des Bryant's role to be with the New Orleans Saints now that he is signed with the team.
0: Yeah, my guess. And, you know, the, the Saints, Sean Payton, very good at optimizing player usage. And, you know, really was the first, was an innovator in terms of using a big slot. You remember a fellow by the name of Marcus Colston who had about 6,000-yard seasons? Yeah. He was he, six foot six out of Hofstra. People thought he was a tight end. Actually old school fantasy football players will remember that he had tight end eligibility as a rookie. Really? Really? And he was, he, he game the system because you could play him at tight end and he scored, he had like over a thousand yards and seven touchdowns, which is just incredible production from a rookie. And you got him off the waiver wire or whatever. I mean, certainly no one drafted him. He was a rookie out of Hofstra. You could play him at tight end that year. Um, but Sean Payton, certainly an innovator and a guy that, um, is really good at optimizing his personnel. And so I think that at this at this stage of Des Bryant's career, I think that he should be like a wide receiver slash tight end, like a more of like a slot receiver. And I think that that's how they're going to use him. Now, I don't think that he's ever at any point in new Orleans going to become an every down player, but I think that, you know, he's going to essentially, be or they're going to try to make him into what they wanted cam meredith to be and cam meredith just was never healthy you know he was definitely worth a flyer for the saints but it it didn't work out and you know they've been using like dan arnold in that role dan arnold yep, uh, who's a nickelodeon
2: character dan arnold is
0: quote unquote dan arnold uh (laughs) and uh austin carr has been out there like they're playing with 10 men on offense and they still have like you know one of the best offenses in the league you know tribute to Sean Payton and Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and whatever but i think that that's where they're going to try him out uh, is in the middle of the field it it is definitely possible that they just line him up, up on the outside and you know he's a good blocker and he's a jump ball specialist and they just use Michael Thomas inside more because no one can stop Michael Thomas at slot receiver and this has been the case for years But my initial inclination is I think they're going to use Des Bryant in the middle of the field.
2: Okay, let's move on to some of the players you highlight in your matchups column. Uh, Evan, we'll start with Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck faces the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. Andrew Luck is throwing a ton of volume. And it's funny, I think he might be the best example this year, Evan, of a player where, you know, we got possibly nervous or a little worried in the first two weeks, but now it's like he's blossomed, right? I mean, he carries the offense. He's throwing it 40, 50 times a game. Um, what do you think he'll do this week against Jacksonville's defense? Who was who down, you know, A.J. Boye, and they haven't really been the Jacksonville defense of 2017 at all?
0: Yeah, no, A.J. Boye is a big loss for the Jaguars, first of all. Um, you know, one of the best cornerbacks in the league that, you know, doesn't get a whole lot of respect because he gets overshadowed by – Well, first of all, he's undrafted. He also gets overshadowed by Jalen Ramsey. Um, Had a better passer rating against last year than Jalen Ramsey, actually. Uh, But, yeah, he's going to be out. And also, the Colts, so the most underrated storyline of the 2018 NFL season, I think, is the turnaround of the Colts' offensive line. Although people are starting to notice, I think, over the last couple of weeks. And they have not allowed a sack in 160 straight pass attempts by Andrew Luck. Uh, they are number two in adjusted line yards, a run blocking metric, at uh, Football Outsiders, and um, like they and you know you combine their improvement, you know, with Quentin Nelson at left guard and Anthony Costanzo finally getting healthy at left tackle and Ryan Kelly, you know, mostly being healthy at center and um, you know Braden Smith, uh, their second round pick, uh, really coming along nicely. Uh, Their offensive line is like legit, really, really good. And I think they're going to be able to continue to protect Andrew Luck. You combine that with their offensive scheme, which is intended to just get the ball out of Andrew Luck's hands quickly and not let him run. He has not been running this year, although he does have that in his toolbox. And the Jaguars actually have had – they've allowed the most rushing yards in the NFL per game to opposing quarterbacks, 26 rushing yards per game. That's a lot. You know, that's 2.6 more fantasy points per game than, uh, you know, so, and that's that's a big deal in fantasy. I mean, you look at, like, the guys who finish, you know, quarterback, like, 17 on the week. If you tack on 2.6 points, they're, like, in the top 12. So, and what you want at the quarterback position is you, just, you want a difference maker because everyone scores a lot of points these days at quarterback, really. Uh, but you want someone that puts you, you know, out in front. And, um, you know, the, playing the Jaguars tax on that 2.6 points per game uh, to your, your total. Uh, but you look at the, the, the Colts as an offense right now, coming out of their bye, this is the healthiest that they've been all season. Anthony Costanza was not there in week one. You know, Jack Doyle was out in week two. T.Y. Hilton was out by week three. All those guys are ready to roll right now.
2: Marlon Mack is back.
0: Marlon Mack is rolling. Oh my goodness, Marlon Mack looks so good. You remember our, our draft conversations about him?
2: Oh yeah. I mean he was, was he was an interesting draft evaluation. Very interesting. But if evaluation. yeah, like if if you if all put it together, if you put it all together, he was a I mean, he's kind of a volume runner now too, right? And that was never yeah. part of the game that we thought he incorporated out of college. Well,
0: even in college he, he kind of shared carries with another dude. Right. So um, but he we always knew that he had a lot of explosiveness. my my comparison for him coming out of college was Tevin Coleman, yeah, although I think he's got like a little bit more like wiggle and shake and you know uh, he's he's got a little bit more to his repertoire. but their offense is just they have a lot of talent on offense and their defense it has not been good, you know, but they've limited big plays. They've allowed the fourth fewest, 20-plus-yard um, pass plays in the NFL. They're the only team in the NFL yet to allow a 40-plus-yard pl- pass play. And that's a lot due to their scheme uh, under Matt Eber- Eberflus. They're playing like a, an old-school, you know, Tony Dungy, Tampa 2-style, Rod Marinelli defense, and they're not giving up big plays, and they're keeping everything in front of them. And they do have some good DBs in the back. I mean, they got Malik Hooker. You know, Kenny Moore is an all right little uh, slot corner. Um, but I, I think that they win this game. And I think that Andrew Luck rolls up on the Jags uh, with good pass protection and with all of his weapons at his disposal and the potential for him to attack on some extra rushing yards. No fear starting him in season-long leagues. And I think that he's a DFS tournament play as well.
2: Got it. Okay, let's keep it moving with Larry Fitzgerald. Evan, I know you always love to talk about Larry Fitzgerald, another player who might've started a bit slow, especially when he was attached to Sam Bradford now with Josh Rosen. And I would love to talk to you about Josh Rosen at some point, because I'm not saying he's been wonderful um, through three quarters, but he has put it together in fourth quarters. And there have been moments when everything is well-projected that he just throws absolute dimes. And even when not, he has a little more mobility and, and time to create separation and space than I really anticipated for him. But that's not to say he's not making mistakes. He's absolutely making mistakes. But what he has done is elevate Christian Kirk, Kirk to possible flex status. And now Larry Fitzgerald to some level of consistency, right?
0: Yeah. And the, um, the you know, the missing ingredient for their first, seven games was competent play calling, you know, and what really stood out was on that Thursday night game against the Broncos where they were at home and the Broncos had lost like four in a row and they came to their house and on the first friggin' play with, with, okay. So you have to understand like the Cardinals, they lost their starting center, AQ Shipley in training camp. Okay. So they started the season without their starting center by week, by whatever week that was week six or whatever, they had lost both their starting guards. Mike Upati and Justin Pugh, were out for that game. Actually, Justin Pugh was active, but he did not play because they had so many dudes on the inactive right, list. Right. That, yeah, but their first play from scrimmage was a run into the back of the guards, and, and guess what happened? You know, it was like a loss of one. And then on the next play, of course, you know, second and eleven, just or uh, Josh Rosen throws a pick six, which was deflected. But, you know, that was just a kind of, that, that, it, that was, it was time for Mike McCoy to go. And um, by week eight, he was gone and Byron Leftwich had taken over as the play caller. And so it was going to be very interesting to see what tweaks was Byron Leftwich as the quarterbacks coach, who was a coaching intern in 2016 under Bruce Arians. Uh, that was David Johnson's big, year, massive year. Um, and then 2017, I believe he served as Bruce Arians, quarterback's coach, and then he, they kept him on. Um, but he had taken over play-calling duties, and so it was, it was going to be interesting to see what, what tweaks he was going to make. And he made all the right tweaks, man. Yeah. He, he uh, used more max protection. He uh, uh, involved the screen game heavily. You know, David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, and Ricky Seals-Jones all ran the most routes— in that game then they had all season. So, Byron Leftwich has shown us the ability to identify his team's weaknesses, which is always the first step, and then also to identify the talents on the team that you need to get the ball to. And guess what? Larry Fitzgerald, 12 targets, over 100 yards and a touchdown. David Johnson, 20 touches, his second game of on 100-plus total yards. You know, Christian Kirk produced in that game. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones did not, but you know, they understand that he definitely brings, like, a playmaking element to their offense, and they wound up winning the game, you, you know, and um, they, they it was like a comeback win against San Francisco. I think it was 18-15 to 15 game, and, look, they're not going to be a high-scoring team, okay, but they now know, you know, they now have a guy who's in charge who knows who the best players on the team are, and they're going to Kansas City. They're not going to win, okay? They're not going to win the game, but <laughs> but they're going to – I mean, they're just
2: 16-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road, Evan. That's it.
0: But they are going to get the ball to their best players. And the Chiefs have given up the most fantasy points to running backs in the NFL. I I would have utmost confidence starting David Johnson, even though it looks bad, as a a 16-and-a-half-point road dog. Um, And then, I mean, they're going to end up having to dial up, you know, 35, 40 pass attempts. And that really bodes well for Larry Fitzgerald, who's – Oh, and another thing – uh, Larry Fitzgerald did not, he was not like a 90% slot receiver. Like he was under Mike McCoy. He was 64%, but he got half of his targets on the outside and, uh, he's got, he got 12 targets and he got six of them on the outside. And, uh, when you look at the chiefs, actually their slot corner is their best cornerback, uh, uh Kendall Fuller. And so you really kind of want to attack them on the outside And we're going to see, I I think we're going to see Larry Fisher lining up on the outside a decent amount, and they're going to try to force the ball to him. And I think that's a good thing.
2: Just big picture view, Evan, any quick summary of Josh Rosen? Like, is it kind of like, I know this seems super obvious, okay? Because you can say this about any quarterback, but he's at his best when kept clean. Right. He's at his best inside of structure when things go well, because he certainly seems smart enough at that young of an age and just starting a handful of games that he's already so good at diagnosing what's in front of him. Now, he certainly has made mistakes, but um, I I just want he's not necessarily someone that has to have a supporting cast carry him. But when he does have a supporting cast that maybe equals his talent, things could be really special.
0: Yeah. Hey, we could go back to UCLA you know. Um, so he got some of those receivers drafted. Like, who was it? Jordan Lasley? Yeah. Jordan Lasley? Yeah. He, he got a bunch of dudes drafted uh, at, at UCLA, but they, they can't play in the NFL. Like, none of those guys are going to be NFL players. Um, so I think he's a talent elevator. I think that we have seen him in one game under a competent play caller, and he won the game, you know, with, with a fourth quarter comeback. And... I'm interested to see what happens the rest of the way. I mean, you you go back and look at, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. All these guys struggled as rookies. And the common theme is that, you know, these first-round quarterbacks get their opportunities. They come in. They struggle. uh, Because the teams have them on rookie deals, they're able to, you know, have a lot more flexibility and free agency. And they can go sign pretty much whoever they want. Because they have, you know, they have these quarterbacks that they're not paying $25 million a year to, and, um, you know, the the talent rises, and they rise with the talent around them.
2: Okay, let's close it out, Evan, with Josh Gordon. Um, Josh Gordon is probably the uh, most frequent guest on this podcast, at least of this segment. You know, Josh Gordon didn't have, what, over like 50 yards prior to last week's game, and then It was a Miss Tremont Williams tackle who I don't even know what he was trying to tackle in space. And then he goes off for big gains. But Josh Gordon and really this Patriots offense has been elevated over recent weeks when everyone is kind of now working in sync and people are healthy and Julian Edelman is back and James White is one of the best backs in the NFL this year. I mean, he's just fantastic. Any thoughts on Josh Gordon? He is playing, Evan, the Tennessee Titans. I forgot about that. Who... Have Malcolm Butler on their roster, and that is not going well.
0: Yeah, so do you know what position Malcolm Butler plays in the Titans secondary?
2: Uh, give her up of big plays? He
0: plays right cornerback. <laughs> do you know the, the position at which Josh Gordon runs most of his routes? Left wide receiver? Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. 56% of his routes against right cornerbacks, and... You know, I know we're, we're we're delving into some narratives here, okay? But Bill Belichick
2: steps on throats.
0: Steps on throats. <laughs> Especially when there's trains coming by, he Yep. Steps on throats. But when he gets publicly widespread criticism over his decision making, okay? Do you think that he bottles that up and, you know, doesn't doesn't really let let that affect him going forward?
2: Um, I think he ad- he doesn't let it affect him, but I don't think he, f- he forgets or forgets oh, he or, forget. or
0: forgives. He definitely oh, he doesn't forgive or forget. I mean, it's one of the things that makes Bill Belichick great. I mean, honestly, it, it really is. It, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people might view that as him being like a jerk. But guess what? A lot of great people in history were jerks. And Bill Belichick is a great person in history. Man, what's the over-under for targets in Malcolm Butler's direction? Um, would, would a safe one be like 9.5? Oh, I think that that's
2: super safe.
0: Yeah, I think it's safe too. Malcolm Butler has allowed the most catches, yards, and touchdowns of any cornerback in the NFL. So, so far this season through eight games, he's actually made Bill, Bill Belichick look smarter, mm-hmm. unbelievably. Um, and Josh Gordon, of course, you know, being this alpha-wide receiver one, uh, I think we're going to see a ton of targets in his direction, aimed right at Malcolm Butler. The thing about Malcolm Butler is that in New England, like he was kind of like a technician. He's not a good athlete. Go, go look at his com- combine numbers. He's not big and he's not a good athlete. Guess what Josh Gordon is? Big and a really freaking good athlete. You, you remember when we were? <laughs> I remember when we were evaluating Josh Gordon coming out of Baylor. It was really hard to even. Because there was so few. There was no sample size. There was no sample size. But one thing that we, or two things that we could say definitively about him, though, just from watching him, you know, know, run 30 routes, was that he was big and he was a good athlete. Yeah. You know? And, um, hey, that's why the, um, the, the Browns were willing to take him. Was it in the second round? Was it the second round? Oh, yeah. Supplemental
2: draft, second round.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm just I'm really excited about Josh Gordon you know I, I I'm rooting for the dude he's he's got like you know demons and i I hope that he's able to overcome them and so far you know knock on wood man I think that he's I just i he 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 brings a special like talent to the world and I, I want the world to continue to be able to see it because you know he was he was blessed man and I just I, I want to be able to continue to watch him for for years. And I think he gets better every game. You know, I think that early on he, like he had some great blocks downfield. That was a good sign to me. Um, He made a couple of big plays, but we didn't see like the dynamic ability of him, you know, like the, the long downfield speed. And uh, I think he, I really think he gets better every single game. And he really gets into game shape more every single game. Imagine, imagine being great at something in the world and, not doing that thing that you're great at for like four years you know at especially in your prime it's i don't know i he's a dude that i'm rooting for and i, I think that uh, i think he's on the right track knock on wood
2: you can check out evans matchups column up on RotoWorld. world you can check him out on RotoWorld live and if you enjoyed any moment of that 20 minute conversation hit that subscribe button and right after this we have roto Pat, so stick around hey my friends you listeners listen to me right now because i need to tell you about our friends Since you're my friend and I'm your friend, Draft is our friend as well. Draft.com is so much fun for a DFS platform because it's not salary-based drafting. No, no, no. It is different. You actually draft your team. You have a different chance of playing people in DFS sites on draft than you do on other platforms. And guess what? If you go to rotoworld.com slash draft or when you download the app in the App Store or Google Play and enter promo code RotoWorld you get a free $3 entry. I mean, I'm looking at a six-person draft right now. Five of six entrances is filled. A $3 entry right there. A prize is $16.20. And guess what? It drafts as soon as you fill. They also have four down territory tournaments with $25K, a hype train tournament with $33,000, a fourth and inches tourney for $5,300. I mean, they've got all these different types of tournaments plus auction drafts. So go and check out draft.com and again draft.com slash rotaworld or enter promo code RotoWorld. All right. Now it is time for Patrick Doherty. And I need to pick on your rankings, Pat. I formulated and picked out a few four names and I feel really good about these four, Pat. And you need to bring some energy and some research behind your stance on them. Does that See, work So they're
3: a better they're a better group of four than you usually pick. So
2: wow. Okay, good. You know what? Ray insulted me in the first ten seconds of his <laughs> podcast this week, and you just did in the first ten seconds of talking to you. So this is a
3: great week. We all have um, very amiable uh, chit chat with you, but then we all do like to tee off on you too. Um,
2: did you Did you hear what Ray said at the top of of his Thursday episode?
3: I did not. <laughs> I can only literally
2: <laughs> the first twenty seconds. He says. This is the most important episode of the most important podcasts. He said that this is the best episode of the week. The Thursday one, he does one with me, and then I do the other one with you and Evan. And so he chose the one that I have nothing involved in.
3: It's a subtweet, an elite subtweet.
2: Let's go first to quarterback Carson Wentz. First of all, I'm trying to bring all of the Philly faithful headed in your direction in a mean mean way Pat because you have him as quarterback 9 despite Carson Wentz averaging nearly 22 points per game over his last 5 starts 12 Hold touchdowns on, so You thought
3: this was too low?
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> you thought it was I the opposite?
3: I, yeah, I thought you were going to be saying it was too high.
2: Keep you on your toes Pat. Uh again, 22 points per game for Carson Wentz. Um 12 interceptions or excuse me, 12 touchdowns with one interception and the Cowboys just like aren't that good defensively other than their front, in my opinion, Pat, um, have allowed over 20 fancy points to three of the past five quarterbacks they faced, and the other two with Alex Smith and Blake Bortles. Why oh why do you not have Carson Wentz higher than quarterback not?
3: Well, I'll go through all the positives even more than you just did. Uh, over the past four games, he's averaging two, 296 yards per game, 8.59 yards per attempt, uh, completing 73% of his passes, and chose the, the past four games because he, you know, he didn't look uh, he didn't look unhealthy the first two, but he was just clearly kind of getting his sea legs back underneath him. Uh, so I'm very bullish in Carson Wentz. Uh, why is he only nine this week? Uh, he still hasn't quite had like that explosive ceiling game. Uh, would like to see that happen now with Golden Tate in the fold. Uh, Golden Tate should be like a really, really huge addition for this offense. Uh, but this week, it's just kind of like a really good week at the top for all the usual suspects uh, Mahomes great matchup, Rogers, Ryan, Cam, Goff, Breeze, even even the Breeze on the road. Uh, Bengals allowing the most passing yards in the NFL. Phil Rivers facing uh, the Raiders. You know, are the Raiders still playing NFL football? Uh, That's a fair hard question. Then you got you know Crazy Legs, Fitzpatrick, and so this is yeah, kind you, of a you really. You
2: cannot have Carson Wentz behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know it's just one spot. Why
3: not? You I mean, can't. Ryan Fitzpatrick's worst start of the year. He still had four touchdowns. I mean, he's just you know you can't. I don't know if I can say it on the podcast, but I've been calling him bath salts fits. You just can't really, you can't really <laughs> screw with bath salts fits. That's,
2: Dana.
3: That's Dana. Just, he's just out of his mind, you know, this year in both good and bad ways, but uh, it doesn't really matter in fantasy. It's been all good in fantasy. And I I only have bath salts fits at eight. I feel like you should be higher. It should probably be five or six, but I hedged a little bit. So it's really not a negative case for Carson Wentz this week. It's just a really positive case for everyone else. And Carson's going to have a blow up game here soon. Um, But yeah, that's that's the reasoning.
2: All right, let's move on over to Deion Lewis, who you have way too low, Pat, at running back (laughs) 22. Um, Deion Lewis has been great in his last two starts, 155 and 122 yards from scrimmage in those two games. Um, I believe he's out-touching Derrick Henry, 42 to 22 in those previous two starts, and 104 to 38 in terms of snaps. So if we're seeing, basically feature back workload
3: here for Deion lewis how is he not top 15 top 18 hey you left out the most compelling reason to rank him high this week because of the hashtag revenge game Uh, of all revenge games we all know how scientific that is um but i i'm kind of buying the same case as you but the, the problem ultimately is that it's still just two games out of eight or whatever it's been and i'd like to see that usage continue going forward but the Titans never seem to really stick with anything for long. And, uh, but I've loved the usage. Obviously I l- like the matchup. Uh, it's the first week I've haven't had him ranked in the top 24. I mean, maybe I did real early in the season. I don't think I did. Uh, so first week I've kind of even got him in the RB two mix, but running back's kind of actually like deceptively deep right now. When when you've had the emergence of Nick Chubb, kind of the surprise, huge emergence of Marlon Mack, uh, you know, Aaron Jones finally really cook in has an amazing matchup this week. Um, So again, it's not really a negative case about Dion, but it's just a little bit of a hedge where the arrow is certainly pointing in the right direction, but still only a quarter of his season, basically, have we really seen that true RB2 usage. And I really hope it continues, uh, but that's really the only reason. I I think he's a genuine RB2 uh, with a lot of upside this week.
2: I know they're coming off a win. Would you consider the Titans smart enough to keep using him in the way that they have been? I mean, I know that it might be dictated to them because it might be a very negative game script against the Patriots. But if it's not, like, let's say it's neutral or even they're up, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that Deion Lewis makes their offense go. Like, he, I don't even think there's an argument. He's he's their best offensive player right now.
3: Yeah, I think I agree, and I I actually do trust this coaching staff enough. But yeah, they've had some things that's out of their control, like as as you mentioned, game script and game flow. And kind of just Marcus Mariota's uh, completely like unpredictable play has been like the biggest wild card for everyone there, for the coaching staff and the supporting cast. So Mariota looked pretty good against the Cowboys, so uh, hopefully that continues. But it's just a, just a few too many moving parts. But I have liked what I've seen out of Mike Vrabel's coaching staff so far this season.
2: Let's go on to T.Y. Hilton. You have two high, Pat, at wide receiver 19. Um, I don't know how. Okay. Here's an example. You just said two games wasn't enough for Dion Lewis. I guess you're using the same reasoning here for T.Y. Hilton because his last two games have been straight garbage. Um, Five (laughs) catchers, 59 yards now might not be in his control because they I'm not going to say they controlled both their games. They certainly did in one of them, but it wasn't like a negative game streak where they're chasing points and he was receiving a whole bunch of of targets. Um, Yeah. I mean, how can you rank someone? at wide receiver 19, five catches, 59 yards in the last two games against the Jaguars, who, yes, are there without A.J. Boyer. Do you expect him to run the slot a lot?
3: Hey, I expect T.Y. Hilton to – he's just one of those guys, how can you ever, like, truly – I feel like you can never truly fade T.Y. Hilton outside of the top 24. Like you said, the Jags, cornerback core, more banged up. Jags really weren't playing super great defense heading into their bye. Yeah. They are still allowing the fewest passing yards in the league, but – this guy kind of, like every rank has kind of more to do in this sort of with the people behind him than you said two games. It has been a very bad two games. Like you said, five catches, 59 yards, but we're still talking ultimately more about five or six years of T. Y. Hilton with Andrew Luck, whereas Dion Lewis and the Titans is still like a relative unknown. I mean, we know what T. Y. Hilton and Andrew Luck traditionally do with each other. And it's just behind him receiver. I feel like running back is deeper than receiver this year, which Maybe people don't agree with that, but it's like kind of really flipped the logic of the past few years on its head. Because, like, right behind T.Y. Hilton, we have Calvin Ridley, which, you know, upside there, but the usage has not uh, been, uh, you know, consistent enough to really have him in the top 24. It's just kind of forced this week by uh, kind of his overall season fantasy numbers and just kind of the overall landscape. And then you have know, Kenny Galladay, you know we're going to talk about next Lord only knows what's going on with him. Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Deshaun Jackson, Sammy Watkins. So it's just a very, it's like, which of those guys, obviously, uh, Sammy Watkins probably won't even play, which of those guys like obviously deserves to be vaulted ahead of T Y Hilton and the T Y Hilton. We know. So I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. But to me, I I have, say
2: for, for, for numbers in, in your direction here, Reeves pointed out in the worksheet, that Hilton runs forty five percent of his routes in the slot, and f- uh, four of the five passing touchdowns that the Jaguars have given up this year have been in the slot. So, who are the
3: Jags even starting in slot corner this week? I think they're on like their number three. Are they? Uh, is is dude, DJ Hayden was hurt? Yeah. Is he even on the Jags? Tyler Patman was hurt. I don't know. They're all hurt. Hopefully, DJ Hayden on the outside. Hopefully, DJ Hayden still in the Jaguars. I am pretty sure he is, uh, <laughs> but uh, he is. Okay. I was just kidding. Let's
2: close it out here, Pat, with the man you mentioned, Kenny Galladay. Uh, Everyone in the fantasy community like propped up Kenny Galladay and pre-Golden Tate, post-Golden Tate. It hasn't come together at all for Kenny Galladay. I mean, it's pretty clear Marvin Jones is the top option. But Pat, it goes further than that. Like it's not just Kenny Galladay hasn't gotten production. Matthew Stafford has been straight trash this year for fantasy football. Yes. I mean, just his lowest yardage total since twenty ten. I was still in college in twenty ten. So like that's a long time ago. Um why do we want to even consider Kenny Galladay who you have as wide receiver twenty one?
3: That's the lowest he's been all year. Uh he's been being used like Traquan Smith the past three or four weeks, which like isn't the worst thing, but is not wide receiver two usage, obviously. And uh, it's not what we were expecting out of Kenny Galladay after those huge first two or three games. Uh, this is just still like the the target tree is so narrow in Detroit. It's just kind of like, how can his usage not go up? He has only seven targets over his past three games. I mean, Yikes. can any of us understand that? I mean, you know, we have, we know the fancy community falls in love with players more than coaching staffs do a lot. But I mean, the lions certainly seemed in love with Kenny Galladay in September. It's, it's very kind of unclear on what's going on there. I kind of, I kind of feel like that low of usage is unsustainable, and that he's going to break back out for at least seven or eight targets this week. And this, when you, when we know the kind of talent he is, and when you look at how narrow that target tree is uh, after the Golden Tate trade, it just kind of feels like the fever has to break. But I mean, if he doesn't do it this week, yeah, you certainly can no longer be ranking him as a wide receiver. Too, this is kind of like his his final week on probation, basically. So. Uh, I, I feel, I, I feel where you're coming from on this one,
2: Pat, since we've done this last week's episode with Evan, since I did it on Tuesday's episode with Ray, by the way, subscribe to those so you can get them. I should do this with you. We just concluded with the Detroit lions since you have been blurbing for over uh, 29 years of your life. Um, who is a random Detroit lion that pops into your head that people may have forgotten that at one point seemed re- relevant. I'll throw out one before you get to it. Okay. Just right. give you time to, to think. Um, Brandon Pettigrew.
3: Oh man. That's a really good one. Uh, Cause he was like just relevant enough where he would be owned in fantasy. Right. And like uh, he was huge. Wasn't Massive. he? Like, wasn't the a first round yeah, pick? His, today. Like, yeah. I remember his uh, calling card was this his enormous, enormous size. Right. Um, you
2: also can't say Amir Abdullah. Cause that's just not fair.
3: Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, poor guy. I was going to say uh, Kevin Jones was who came to mind, but I don't know if that's actually who I was thinking of. Who was like the Running very back? Kevin Jones? Yeah. Yeah. I know he's on the Lions, but I think there was another Kevin Jones type runner. Well, the Lions was Kevin type Jones, the are you talking or? about the one from Virginia Tech? I was talking about the one from Virginia Tech. So that was kind of a long time ago. And there was someone, though, that really reminded me of Kevin Jones that came after Kevin Jones, who I think maybe his last name was also Jones.
2: Okay. I can't, uh, I can't remember who you're referring to. I'm sure I'm the really people on Twitter uh, will know.
3: Uh, yeah. Maybe they won't, but uh, cause I'm not really, basically I just said any post Kevin Jones, <laughs> Lions running back. Yes, you did. Um, yes, you did. But uh, yeah, I don't have anyone as good as Pan- Brandon Pettigrew. Okay. I mean, John, no, that was a long time yeah, ago too though. Ago. Basically you just set that up cause you knew how amazing of an answer. Brandon Pettigrew oh, was.
2: That's, that's what I'm here for. dude. All right, Pat, Thanks so much. Um, And to all of you out there, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, um, I'm sorry to Ray, it's not the best of the week, but you know, I think it's pretty damn good. (laughs) Um, Subscribe, rate and review, and we'll talk to you all soon. See ya.